This is James Walker. Welcome to Real Talk, Real People. This is the podcast that turns the mic over to everyday people to hear what they have to say about the issues and problems we face as a society. Hello, everyone. Thank you so much for joining us again this week. You know, 45,000 people here in Connecticut, African-American, carry the sickle cell trait, but it is not front page news. My guest today is James Rawlins. He is the president of the Sickle Cell Disease Association of America, Connecticut, and he is here to update us on what is going on with funding, education, and, um, and programs to help these people who are carrying this trait and those who are being treated for it. It's been about two years since we had him, last had him on the show. And at that time, I had him on the show because my nephew Isaiah had just passed away from sick cell. And I was trying to get um, a little bit more information because I didn't know much about sickle cell. In fact, my family didn't know much about sickle cell at the time. We recently had my niece, Rebecca. She just went into the hospital because she has sickle cell and she is being treated. So what is going on? We can't get big pharma involved because there aren't enough people, according to them, to for them to invest in research and medications to help control and fight sickle cell. So Jim Rawlins is here to give us an update on where we stand here in Connecticut. Let's get him on the show and hear what he has to say. My name is James Rawlings. I am the president and CEO of the scdaa.s.ct. We have expanded ourselves now. I was going to say Southern Connecticut SC, uh, but now that we are responsible for the entire state, it's scdaa.ct. I got and you. So, you know, so that's that's where we have advanced to relative to um, expanding and getting a, the trust of the of our clients. Well, you know, it's been about two years since you've been on the show talking about sickle cell and the importance of getting funding and um, meeting the challenges of this disease. At that yes. time, I believe you. I'm not sure if Michelle's house was just opening or it had been op open for a few months. So what's going on with Michelle's house and uh, bring us up to date on what's going on with sickle cell in Connecticut. Well, we continue to have funding challenges. Uh, we don't have a, we have a, the state has given us a, uh, the entire state uh, grant, which is roughly about minimum of five figures but we're responsible for you know, every ind individual in Connecticut who has sickle cell trait and sickle cell disease. And of course, you know, based on the last couple of years, there's still no cure for That's sickle right. cell disease. And so many, um, from my perspective, preventable and avoidable uh, acute care visits uh, uh, are taking place. Uh, and since the, the Medicaid is the principal provider, 
there is really no no gatekeeper and there's nothing in place uh, to drive down the avoidable and preventable hospitalizations. And um, we're fighting to make sure that there are other clinical options available as opposed to the uh, clients going to both the Yukon um, Clinical Treatment Center and the Yale New Haven Hospital Clinical Treatment Center. And by that, by that I mean that they, they are considered to be under the NIH, uh, the clinical treatment centers of choice because they have oncologists and hematologists. Okay, you know, I was reading a report from the Centers um, for Disease Control and and this report came out last year, and what it stated was that many of um, the young people between the ages of, say, five and 13 are not getting the medication and the treatment that they need for sickle cell. And I know that you have said that uh, big pharmaceutical companies won't uh, provide the, or won't do the research because there's just not enough people for them to make a profit. So what do we do? If Big Pharma won't help us, what do we do? I'm, I'm, I am going to pivot. We are going to pivot from a dependence upon Big Pharma to prevention. Okay. And by that, I mean, um, it's a genetic disease. It takes two. It takes a male and a female. There are about 45,000 individuals in Connecticut, black, black, that's just black, not the brown piece. Uh, there are about 45,000 individuals in Connecticut who are carrying the trait. So they're the, they are the drivers of, of the newborns who are positive. Well, let me ask you a question, Jim, because this, this, this is puzzling to me. If, are these parents or um, potential parents aware that they have uh, this trait in their um, genetics? And if so, why would they choose to pass this on to their children? Uh, the, um, you have to understand that the, these are individuals who are impoverished, um, to some extent uneducated because they, you know, it's 70% of the individuals who, or 75% of the individuals who are on Medicaid. Okay. You know, they have the priorities of those on Medicaid. We have individuals who are homeless. We have individuals who uh, uh, live in food deserts. The three bigger urban areas in Connecticut are up to 65% single head of households. So how does that play into the disease and passing it's on the It's not a priority. It's not, it's something that's lost in the, uh, um, in, in the discussions. Okay. And, the, and, and in the, and the journey for ev everyday journeys of, of individuals with this kind of a, this kind of baggage. And so on the one hand, many of the females will be aware of the sickle cell trait status because they are um, having babies. But the males uh, are not aware of it or deny the fact that they may be having sickle cell trait, sickle cell trait. 
And so and most of our virtual meetings, because we do virtual meetings uh, every Monday, every first Monday of every month, the engagement, if there's 20 individuals in the room, 18 are females. So it, how would a man know that he carries the test? What, what do we have to do to, uh, to find out if a man has um, sickle cell to, like you said, it takes two. So how right. do we find that out if you have it? There's two, mean, programs, okay. there's, there's two programs going on. We have introduced into our house, Michelle's house, a sickle cell testing program, okay? okay. Second piece that we have partnered with CVS to be able to have them provide sickle cell testing at many of the pharmacies in Connecticut, particularly in the large, urban, the large urban centers. So okay. you have this set up. Now, mm -hmm. let's just say that I'm, I have to trade. I don't know right. about it. How do right. you get me into mm -hmm. CBS or Michelle's house to take this test? How do you alert me that, hey, you might be carrying this trait? We need to get you tested. Right. What we have is one of the most powerful uh, back uh, engines. Re remember, uh, CBS is a commercial enterprise, and they know how to drive information. Right. So right now, there are three or four um, pilot programs going on in Connecticut where they are telling individuals, ask the, asking them about their status, the sickle cell trait status, et cetera, right. et cetera, you know? But that has to be married with, and we're learning this from a, a new pediatric oncologist in, in, um, in Connecticut here at Yellow Haven Hospital. It's critical that we know, that we know that they understand that if you have sickle cell trait status, okay, you have to understand what that means. What and does so, it mean? <laughs> exactly. Tell so, us what it means. What it really means is that if you uh, have a child with um, have a child with a mother who is, has sickle cell trait status, there's two people now. The chances right. are that at least one of the four children that they have that will have sickle cell disease. And two will have sickle cell trait, and another one, the the fourth person there will be uh, won't have anything uh, relative to the uh, the disease or the trait. It's a one two one two one. It's Mendelssohn. Remember the old stuff in your biology, Mendelssohn. Right. <laughs> so <laughs> you know. All right. But, so you mentioned that here in Connecticut, we have like forty five thousand people who potentially carry the trait. Yes. So right. So I know that we talked about CVS and them pushing that information and getting these people on board. Right. So we have 45,000 potential. How many people do in Connecticut actually have the disease and are being treated for it? We have, we have 1,500 individuals who are in the hospitals on an annual basis. Okay. So we have 1,500. You have to remember that there are some individuals who are benign who don't have any crisis, things of, you know, it's a bell curve. Right. Right. So only data we really have is the data that uh, is from, from the acute care uh, side of it when they're hospitalized. But uh, the thing that, uh, that uh, 
the thing that we're trying to do right now, Mr. Walker, James, JW, is that we've asked uh, the state for re significant resources so we can, in fact, do what Fauci did. What Fauci did is he, he introduced to the communities across the country, but in, in Connecticut, something called herd immunity, right? That's the vaccine. Right. What we want to be able to do is have education around those that 45,000 individuals and move them up relative to their acumen, their understanding of the trait. Okay. So what we want to do is protect the herd. So we want to take that, that, that approach, the epidemiological approach, to transfer that model, which was vaccine-driven, to educational models. I got you. And therefore, for example, we want to be able to we want to be able to see how many of those individuals, five thousand, have an understanding of their sickle cell trait status, and then we want to be able to continually to improve that because the model has worked. We understand what the model means relative to falsity. We want to get to that point because it's really we don't want to wait. We cannot afford to wait for pharma and big pharma. No, we because have to take this right now and and what's in our hand. So we have the tools to be able to drive this down so that there, if there are a hundred, let's say hypothetically, there's a hundred children born every year with sickle cell disease. We want to take that and tie it to the uh, uh, the educational program. What resources uh, are effective and efficient relative to changing and making sure that uh, more and more or less and less per se, we, we want to be able to bend the curve for newborns born with sickle cell disease. Let me ask you, how many, and, and um, this sickle cell, as I told you before, has affected my family. My young um, nephew uh, passed away um, due to sickle cell. And recently, one of my nieces was hospitalized um, with, because she has sickle cell. How many people are we losing to this disease on an annual basis? Um, the um, life expectancy is 43. Oh. Um, and it's interesting you ask that question because if it's the males who are dying younger than the females. Is there a reason for that? Yes, it's because of athletics. It's because um, the males, and you know how this issue is with males and African-American males and Latino males, they are not ad adherent to the what medications they're on. They have bad, poor lifestyles, et cetera, et cetera. And that's why, you know, the athletics, machoism, slavery, all those things are coming, you know, it's the um, Mendingo warrior syndrome. You know, okay. I'm, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not weak because I'm strong. I'm healthy. You know? And Wait a minute, Jim. That, that I need aspect you repeat, of it. I need you to repeat that last part again because you froze 
and you, we lost the okay. audio. So okay. Uh, in slavery, hundred years ago, twenty years ago, if you were sick, you were killed because you have you have no value to the plantation owner. Correct. Right. We still have that in our in our in our bone marrow. We never you. admit as African American males that we're sick. Yes, I I, I know that's a major problem where uh, that's in both physically and mentally we just have a problem um admitting that there's a problem that we should take care of now you mentioned that you have a an intern and that she's right. doing she's doing a study exactly what is she doing my name is krupa hegde um i currently go to yale university and i'm studying history of science there um i am working with mr rollings this summer to make a report to help detail the, the struggles that people with sickle cell disease go through from their entire life course. So we're starting with birth and then going all the way up until geriatric care involving sickle cell disease and detailing all the components that a student or child might go through when they're born and diagnosed with sickle cell disease. And so okay. that looks like... I, I need you to kind of speak up a little bit because you're far back and we're losing okay, your yeah, audio. Let me come a little closer that way. Okay, please. Yeah, thanks. Okay. Go ahead. Yeah. So we're working on this report to detail everything that a person might go through once they've been diagnosed with sickle cell disease. So that includes childhood education struggles. We see a lot of our clients come into Michelle's house in detail that they're struggling academically in school, but also they're struggling with making friends and bullying due to their sickle cell disease and not being able to participate fully in things like PE or recess. And then from then we have children struggling with their transition of care from pediatric care to adult care providers and that switch tends to be pretty difficult and that continuity of care is not as seamless as we would like it to be and then once they reach adulthood we see a lot of struggles with job employment and getting accessibility needs met um, with job prospects also things like stigma and racism from doctors that they're experiencing providers, providers in general <laughs> yes and right. then so we're trying to detail all of these in a report to help spread awareness of the fact that sickle cell disease is one of the diseases that people often underwrite and one of the things that people often don't look at when they're thinking about becoming providers, but it's really a whole community of care that's needed in order to accurately support somebody with sickle cell disease. Well, on behalf of all the people who have sickle cell and potentially of carry the trade. We certainly thank you for your efforts um, on behalf of uh, Michelle's house and Mr. Rollins here. So Jim, now that you, when you get this report, what are you gonna do with it? Yes. We have four or five targeted individuals or groups. We have the legislative group at, in, in, in Hartford who are relatively unaware of sickle cell disease and sickle cell trait. So that's to inform them. And so what we're trying to do right now is that we have a, a bill for funding, um, but we have tested the waters and there's little understanding of what sickle cell disease is or sickle cell trait. Okay. What we're going on right now is that so many sequelae of sickle cell disease, we're working with and we fail to work with the school systems. And now, now we know that the average uh, student uh, with sickle cell disease is admitted to the hospital three or four times a year, okay? 
What does that mean to them academically? All right? So the mastery exams, and you're familiar with the mastery exams, the, the average score in the state is 57. The average score in the five or three or four major urban areas is less than 10. You've been listening to Real Talk, Real People. If you would like to be on the show, if you have an idea for the show, give us a call at 203-605-1859 or drop us an email at realtalkrealpeoplect at gmail.com. You folks have a good week and we'll talk again next week. Dead Windows. The new book by James Snowden Walker. Available now on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, and Google Books.